Hey yo everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 89 through 90, which will be covering manga chapters 150 to 154, which is the conclusion to the Drum Island arc and one of the most beautiful endings to a story arc in One Piece and one that I will always fondly remember. So let's get started with the synopsis. Luffy chases Wapo back into the castle to finish their fight, but ends up just chasing him around the castle before they reach the top with Luffy blowing him away and releasing the island of Drum from his tyranny. With the conflict over, Luffy sets his sights to invite Chopper to join the crew, but Kureha refuses to allow it, forcing Chopper to force his way out, but not before Kureha gives him one last heartfelt send-off by showing him the fruits of Hiroluk's lifelong research and dream. So the differences, most of the differences actually stems from just one, well, it's a large change. It's the shift of the Vivi and Dalton flashback, And so on the ropeway, Dalton is far more injured and he's actually coughing up blood. But there's this brief panel in the manga of his interaction with Vivi as a child, which in the anime we don't see because we don't see that flashback till the end. And speaking of which, yes, that flashback in the manga occurs much earlier on. In fact, it occurs towards the beginning of Chopper's flashback. And it's not present day Dalton remembering this memory but it's actually the flashback Dalton remembering that moment. So it becomes a flashback inside of a flashback or flashback inception. And I didn't mention this last episode because I didn't want to spoil the contents of this flashback just in case people wanted to be surprised by it at the end of the anime or the anime episode that is. And another related piece of differences is that his inner dialogue is again expanded upon a bit in the manga. When he's talking with Kuriha after Chopper has left, he wonders why Vivi is with pirates, but understands that there must have been a good reason for her to be with them. And then he goes into the line that's the same in the anime about how she's still just as noble as she was when she was a child. So getting into the or my thoughts on these episodes, is we come back to Luffy pursuing Wapol into the castle while Wapol is now chasing Nami. And I'm not really going to go into too much detail about this fight as this is easily one of the most uninteresting final fights and uninteresting aspects of this entire arc. But Wapol is seriously no match for Luffy whatsoever. And Wapol as a character is a pretty one note as just an obnoxious, vile villain. The biggest problem with Wapol is he poses no threat to Luffy or anyone really. And many of his evil deeds are told to us through brief flashes of memory instead of actually seeing him do it. And so we also don't really care about Wapol that much. I mean, he is annoying for sure. And some of the things he does are kind of annoying. But it's just like there's no real connection to Wapol. And there's really no connection between Wapol and Luffy. And so there's just nothing there that's all that interesting. But yeah, Luffy ends up beating Wapol with ease, blasting him away with Gomgomono Bazooka at the top of the tower. After Wapol's defeated, the others finally make it to the top via the ropeway. In classic fashion, Zoro and Uso get blown away by Luffy by mistake yet again. And uh, yeah, uh, this running joke of Luffy accidentally just blowing his crewmates away will never not be funny. The following scene I really like um, with Chopper and Dalton's reunion After not having seen each other in six years, both realized they were still fighting for Drum. In particular, Dalton is very much grateful to Chopper, and it's a really heartwarming moment. 
Then, as the other villagers are about to call Chopper a monster, Dalton stops him, but Usopp, however, blurts it out anyways, and Luffy scolds him, but then in an effort to call him back, Luffy also calls Chopper a monster as well. But I love that detail that, to the Straw Hats, this term is not a negative thing. And I love how even though Chopper is animated with a terrified face when he's running away from Luffy, but at the very end when it does the freeze frame animation, he's clearly seen with a huge smile and enjoying being chased by Luffy, realizing for the first time that he's wanted, not just in spite of being a monster, but precisely because he's a monster. And that's a really nice detail that I love the anime added. And I think that's one thing I really like about this arc is that they realize the significance of it. And I feel like they put extra effort into the crafting of this arc because they add a lot of little things that make the story of Drum better. And it just sort of adds more to it without taking away the pacing of the anime. And just it seems to be done out of respect and reverence for how big this moment is, a new crew member in the Grand Line. And yeah, I wish they would approach the anime adaptation more like this than what they do further down the line, which is just add stuff to pad things out. While Luffy is busy chasing after Chopper, Kuraha gets everyone back inside to treat everyone with their injuries as well as have the volunteer villagers assist her with a task in Wapo's armory, but she doesn't have the key to it. However, Nami being the master thief, she stole it off of Wapo during Luffy's fight and uses it to bargain with Kuraha to pay for the treatment costs as well as to have an early release so that they can hurry up and get to helping out Vivi in Alabasta. I like how again we see Kuraha's kind side, but it comes out as a stern and cold demeanor as she quote-unquote threatens them if they leave early but essentially gives them all the information they need to leave. So it's just like, again, like Nami and Vivi say, she's basically just telling them, okay, you can leave. And some time passes as Luffy is still looking for Chopper, and like with all of the other members, they're hesitant to join, but Luffy stubbornly will not back down. I especially love Luffy and Zoro's back and forth with Zoro mentioning he probably doesn't want to be a pirate, and then Luffy responds, that's wrong. I really want to take him with us. And of course, Zoro's exasperated voice comes out. Like I said, that's what you want. Also, I have to mention that one time Luffy yells out Tonakai in this really weird comical inflection like Tonakai. <laughs> it's too funny. With everyone, including Nami and Vivi, regrouped back outside, Chopper finally decides to confront the Straw Hats to thank them for inviting him, but turns them down again, saying it's impossible. But Luffy, again, with absurd reasons like, it's not impossible, it's fun. And of course, Usopp interjects with his famous Tsukomi timing, you're not making any sense. However, we still see Chopper is really incredibly scarred and jaded because of the treatment he received all his life as a so-called monster. And in another wonderful moment of Luffy's genuine and magnetic personality as Chopper is explaining all the reasons he shouldn't go with them, Luffy just interrupts him and yells out, Shut up! Let's go! Another panel or moment that will go down in the already many great moments of One Piece is when Chopper, overwhelmed with emotion, finally breaks down crying and accepts that he will join them. I mean, he doesn't flat out say it, but that's subtext right there. 
Chopper finds Kurha back in the castle to tell her that he has decided to join the Straw Hats and venture out to sea as a pirate, but Kurha has an incredibly strong negative reaction to this and forbids him from going with them. She ends up violently chasing after Chopper to prevent him from leaving and forcing them all to hightail it out of there. And we get a beautiful panel slash shot of them on the sled with a massive moon in the background seemingly flying down the mountain. On a completely unrelated note, whenever I hear Kuriha screaming intensely like this scene, all I hear is Goku from Dragon Ball. Like, it sounds so much like when Masako Nozawa uh, performs Goku in Dragon Ball, and sh they both sound exactly alike. I think she just has one mode for angry, and that's basically Goku angry. I mean, it's pretty fun to see, but it's just really weird. I see this 140-year-old, like, frail woman <laughs> with Goku's voice coming out of her. But yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing. Anyways, as Chopper and the Star Hats make it off the mountain, Dalton approaches Kuriha asking if it was really okay with that kind of parting. And we again see the hard-edged side of Kuriha masking her inner softer, kinder side and not wanting to appear vulnerable and sentimental. But she truly wanted Chopper to go out to fulfill his dream. And that she's going to miss him very much as she tears up and says she doesn't like tears. But despite the sentimental nature of this scene, in a rather abrupt moment of comedy, Kuriha turns around and playfully punches Dalton really hard in the chest, where he's recovering from three large arrow wounds as she yells, we have to prepare for a flashy send-off. And you hear Dalton as he tumbles over whispering, ouch, that really hurt. I just love the way he just says, Itai. It's so funny. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Dalton is such an awesome character. Okay, here we go. We are at one of my favorite moments in the entire series to this date. As Chopper is running, he begins to doubt whether Hiroluk was lying about finishing the research to save Chopper's feelings, and that Hiroluk was just living a useless grandeur of visions. Kuriha has the village volunteers fire a huge amount of cannons up into the sky, and then lights them up. And this will forever be one of the most amazing sights and heartwarming moments in any fictional story for me that I've ever seen. As we relive moments from Hiroluk and Chopper's past, we see Chopper overcome with emotions as the camera pans up to see the drum Rockies covered in a massive cloud of pink snow, making it appear like one giant sakura cherry blossom tree. And it is truly a sight to behold. And Hiroluk did it. He completed his dream and has finally made it possible for the country of drum to begin healing. This is one of those moments where the anime just does it better. I was a freaking mess when I read this the first time in the manga. And it was beautiful in there too. But the fact is, these are the moments that are made for the anime. Period. The way they utilize the overlays of the voiceovers from the past. The use of music as well as the silence and sound to the dramatic pacing and the visuals, as well as the color. The use of the color is so good because you don't get to really see it in the manga because it's black and white. And so when you see it all lit up in bright pink against the dark sky, it looks beautiful. And I cried pretty hard when I saw this episode when it first aired. And to this day, I still tear up at this moment. You just feel and understand Chopper's emotions so much here because his story was built up and told so well up till now. 
And it's just incredibly cathartic to experience this moment with him. And it's bookended by a great moment as it zooms in on his father's pirate flag and a quote from his mother giving him her blessing to go out on this new adventure. It's just amazing. Like, I love this episode and I'll never get tired of it. In the following episode, we do catch up with the crew as they're back on the Marys celebrating and partying Chopper's induction into the crew. We learn that Chopper can actually talk to animals as he translates Karu's words after explaining he almost froze to death trying to save Zoro from drowning by mistake, which is a cool ability, you know? It's nice to have. And this is the what I was alluding to when we were talking about Peace, how the her devil fruit is kind of redundant because Chopper can essentially do the same thing because he's reverse. He's an animal that can talk to humans, essentially. It's also pretty funny that everyone, aside from Nami and Sanji, had no idea that Chopper was a doctor. And when Nami questions why they were recruiting him, Luffy and Sanji's answers are just freaking hilarious. Obviously, Luffy invited Chopper solely on his interest with Chopper's seven forms with his rumble ball. And then Sanji's joke answer of emergency food reserves is pretty funny with Chopper's like freaked out reaction in the background. Uh, and in a sweet moment when Chopper realizes that he forgot his medical supplies Nami tells him that they were in the sleigh and then we get this beautiful moment uh, that we learn that Kuriha knew exactly what Chopper wanted all along and she pre-packed everything for him and had the medical bag already in the sleigh and it's just yeah it's a really cool moment to see that this person who seems to be always just violently mean but really has his best interests at heart. We then, of course, finally get the traditional new crew member welcome cheers scene. Chopper is now officially a new Straw Hat crew member, which is freaking awesome. We cut back to Kreha and Dalton talking about Chopper and the future of the country. Dalton decides that just leaving is an atonement for his past sins, but he needs to work to rebuild the country. I really like that he comes to this realization that running away isn't atonement, but taking responsibility and fixing it is the better path for him. And I really like that. Like, I think it's a good message, really. Kuriha mentions that Dalton does seem to have the heart to care for the country. And Dalton reflects on that phrase as we finally get to see how Dalton and Vivi know each other, as has been alluded to throughout the entire Drum Island arc. We get a flashback some years ago when Vivi was 10 years old, to the Monarch Summit at Reverie. It's interesting that Reverie is actually name-dropped here in the Japanese dialogue, but it's not translated in the subs, or at least not in the Netflix version, because Reverie, or Levely, I don't really know how it's actually pronounced in English, but it's actually an important council body. It's basically all the kings and leaders of the nations around the world and they play a big role in the story. So it's interesting that the name was omitted in the subs. But I don't know. That's really not here. Neither here nor there. But we get our first glimpse of King of Alabasta, Nefertari Cobra, Vivi's father, as well as his guards. At the summit, Cobra scolds and humiliates Wapple for his careless attitude, and in retaliation, Wapple finds young Vivi and hits her. But before Igarum can retaliate back, Vivi stops him and politely apologizes so as to not start an unnecessary political conflict. And even at an early age, 
we see how mature and intelligent BB is. And Dalton mentions this fact too, but I find it really weird and kind of funny as well. Uh, like it's a weird directing choice to have him speak this inner dialogue out loud in the anime. When in the manga, it's an internal dialogue of his thoughts. It just seems weird for him to be saying all this out loud for everyone to hear. Because everyone's within earshot of him. So it's just really strange that he's just saying all this out loud. And I don't know if that was a mistake or a conscious decision, but I just find the scene very strange how they did it in the anime. We later see how difficult this was for Bibi as Wapple hit her rather hard it seems to the point where it really causes her a great deal of pain and she's crying. Reflecting on this, he sees that Bibi is just as noble if not more so today. Now here's where things get really interesting. We get some bombshell reveals with a couple things here of the wider One Piece story and the world. We learn that a couple weeks prior, a mysterious man named Ace showed up tracking down Blackbeard, but also he wants to meet Luffy, as he seems to have some connection with him. At this point, it's difficult to tell if he's a friend or a foe, but this plants the seed for a new story thread of this man named Ace trying to track down both Blackbeard and Luffy. Also, for those paying attention, this Ace is voiced by Toshio Furukawa, another fellow Dragon Ball voice alum. He voiced none other than Piccolo. So we've got Krillin, Goku, and now Piccolo all appearing in the same episode. I just thought that was cool. And also for you Hunter Hunter fans of the newer version, the 2011 version, he is also the voice of Satotsu. So yeah, he's a pretty cool voice. And one of the villagers hands Kureha the bounty poster for Luffy as she's looking at it asks Dalton if he knows who Gold D. Roger is. And Dalton obviously corrects her and asks her, do you mean Gold Roger? And she comments, is that what they're calling him these days? And you're just like, what? Did we just get revealed that Gold Roger's real name is Gold D. Roger and that he has the same middle initial D like Luffy? I mean, this is a crazy reveal. Like, are they related in some way? Is he his father or grandfather or something? I mean, a lot of things were racing through my mind. I remember at the time this was revealed to me. And it was just crazy. Like, what? There's some more connection between Gold Roger and Luffy. Then she drops a very curious quote here. So the will of D is still alive. Now, we get the sense that not only is this just a possible familial name, but there's some Ds out there, and there's some significance to this middle initial. I remember my mind went to something supernatural, like a chosen one kind of thing. Like there's something cosmically special about people with this middle initial, and we won't know more about this till later in the story. But I'll keep it at that for now, but... Things are starting to get very interesting for the wider story of One Piece. And also, I can now start calling him Goldie Roger again. I can stop saying Gold Roger because I've become pretty accustomed to calling him Goldie Roger as opposed to Gold Roger. It took a little while at first, but I think it's it's interesting now go, looking back on this episode and the fact that like I've been as I've been recording this podcast I've been forcing myself to say Gold Roger, but I've become so accustomed to saying Gold D Roger. And so it's always been kind of a challenge to go back the other way. 
anyways, we finish off with a bit more hanging out and seeing Chopper and how he's beginning to integrate and acclimate with the crew as we recap the Baroque work structure in preparation for the coming arc. And we end the episode on the full reveal of Mr. Two Bonclay, as well as getting our first real glimpse at Crocodile's face, which I can't wait to get into Alabasta next. Oh, also, I forgot to mention this in the differences section, but Mr. Two Bonclay, his coat on the back in Japanese, it says Bonclay, but in the Jap or the, in the manga, it actually says something different. It says Okama way or the gay way or the homosexual way. Um, I think it's just the gay way. But anyways, it's I, I'm assuming that they censored this because uh, it you know this is aimed more towards younger kids, which you know in in Japanese culture, yeah, the homosexuality is still a little bit. I mean, it's getting better, but at the time, it's still very um, stigmatized. So. I get the sense that that's why they edited this or censored it a bit. In any case, with that, this brings the Drum Island arc to a close. And for me, I love this arc, as you can probably tell. I mean, it has its flaws, mostly due to the lack of real tension from a crappy villain. But everything else from the comedy, the emotional moments, the new characters, the development of new and existing characters, an incredibly emotional and gut-wrenching flashback, as well as the development of Chopper, as well as an insanely heartfelt and well-done finale. Drum Island is just one of my favorite arcs. There's just so much to love about this arc, and I really, really like it. But there is still better yet to come, and I can't wait till we begin the Alabasta arc, the culmination of this set of sagas, I guess? This early Grand Line saga or the Alabasta Saga, this is the culmination of that. And yeah, this is going to be freaking awesome once we get further into Alabasta. If you enjoyed this, please send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account, which I really should get better at updating my Twitter. But if you want to see updates, I'll post new uh, pictures on Instagram at least. So check those out. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and stay tuned for the spoiler section if you're interested because, yeah, I've got a okay amount of things to talk about. But if not, hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alright, so spoilers. I mean, I don't really want to go too deeply into any one of these things because obviously I will be talking more in depth when they come up. But it's interesting that here we get so many new things that play a pretty huge role for the rest of the story. I mean, first of all, the fact that we now know Gold, Gold Roger is actually Gold D. Roger and he is a D. And this is the first time we ever learned that. Not only that, but this is also the first time we learned the concept of the Will of D. Both of which we really don't know anything yet still. I mean, the latest chapter I've read is 1008. And I still can't explain what the Will of D is to you. Because we haven't really been given that information. Now, Goldie Roger, like, we've gotten a lot more information about him. Especially with the um, Oden flashback and seeing him actually live, like see him 
fight, see him interact, like not just in these like silhouetted, mysterious, you know, scenes, but we actually get to see the real Roger. And it's pretty cool to see that. And then, of course, Ace, our first introduction to Ace here. And yeah, it's it's really interesting to see like this that he had this all planned out already. I mean, the fact that he was chasing Blackbeard all the way to like hundreds of chapters later when he would face off against Blackbeard and then ultimately be captured by him, which leads to his execution at Marineford. And it's just kind of mind-blowing to me to see this one little flashback of Ace looking for Blackbeard and Luffy and how that spirals all the way towards Marineford and then, you know, Luffy ultimately witnessing the death of his brother and the fact that Ace is his brother. I mean, we're going to learn that fairly soon here in the next, like, maybe 10, 12 episodes, I think, if I remember correctly. We're going to meet Ace and learn that he is his brother. But then there's also the reveal that he's not actually his, you know, blood brother. And, you know, it's funny. This just occurred to me that both Ace and the real Goldie Roger is revealed here. And the fact that Ace is actually his son. And... I don't know if that was actually coincidence or not, but it's funny that we get two major reveals here concerning Roger and Ace, and the fact that they're both related is a very interesting concept. And looking back on these episodes, it's just really fun to see how these all started. And then, of course, Mr. Two. Now, it's interesting how Boneclay is made out to be... Oh, obviously, he is a villain here. You know, he's still pretty evil... But he doesn't seem as evil as the others. You know, he's beating up on one of his subordinates, but he's he's just kind of throwing him against a tree. And it is a little unsettling, of course, but seeing Bonclay sort of develop over time, especially through his fight with Sanji and losing to him, and then also seeing the camaraderie between the Straw Hats, ultimately leading him to sacrifice himself to save them, not once, but twice, Later on, down in Impel Downs, like, uh, yeah, Bonclay is a very interesting character and, like, a very good example of characters coming back to help the Straw Hats and especially Luffy. And it is cool to see Mr. Two Bonclay start off here as the villain and slowly work his way to becoming a hero and an ally, just like, well, Nico Robin or Miss All Sunday will be as well. But yeah, that's kind of all I really wanted to talk about. Obviously, I will get into far more detail later on with each of these things once we learn more about them. I am very curious as to what the Will of D is, though. I honestly do not have a theory. Like, I'm just kind of trying not to theorize what it is so that I can be surprised at what it what it is, what it turns out to be when it's revealed finally towards the end of the series, I'm assuming. But yeah, I... And you know what's funny? Even if I wanted to theorize, I really have no idea. I honestly could not tell you what the Will of D actually is referring to. I don't know if it's that big-ass hat inside, um, whatchamacallit, Marijua, but <laughs> it is, yeah, it is a very mysterious concept that I am very much wanting to know, along with everybody who's a fan of the series. But anyways, thanks for listening. I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.